Hi everybody, Sven Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. So this is a presentation on the University of Missouri controversy that we put together last week before these terrible attacks in Paris, France, and um, we put out all of our sympathies, of course, to the victims of these attacks and the victims of the attacks by the Western powers in the Islamic world, but we must continue with our good work in society, even though it seems or feels sometimes like our noses are bubbling in the rising blood and we can barely breathe, we must hold aloft the lamp of virtue and progress to burn away the blood of ancient histories. So, we are going to talk about the University of Missouri controversy, which has been brewing for a couple of months and is actually spilling over to a, another set of American college campuses as we speak. The University of Missouri campus has been paralyzed by months of student and teacher protests culminating in the resignation of prominent faculty. And of course, before the eyes of the world were focused on Paris, Mizou, which is a strange French-sounding nickname for a university, dominated the headlines around the United States. On Monday, November 9th, 2015, the University of Missouri President Tim Wolf resigned and the Chancellor of the flagship campus, R. Bowen Laughlin, announced his intentions to step down to a less prominent position before the end of 2015. Now, Tim Wolf actually is an alumni. He earned his business degree at the University of Missouri in 1980. He was an executive at IBM for some time, ran some other companies. And in uh, 2012, February of 2012, he became the president of Mizu. And um, he actually defunded the University of Missouri Press because it was operating in so much red, and we're not just talking left leanings, it actually was losing money, which caused a lot of controversy, and he then backed away from that decision. Now, he was not expected to resign, but there were hunger strikes and protests and craziness, so he did resign. But this is what he said. He said, this is not, I repeat, not the way change should come about. Change comes from listening, learning, caring, and conversation. And we have to respect each other enough to stop yelling at each other and start listening. Tragically, of course, he says, this is not the way that change comes about. And then he resigns, thus causing change to come about in exactly the way he says it shouldn't. Despite his surface objections, Wolf took, quote, full responsibility for any inaction following the racially charged incidents and encouraged that all parties use his resignation, he said, to heal and start talking again. You know, it's a female-dominated college culture when you have to talk about healing rather than learning. So what on earth has been going on? What happened that escalated these racially charged in incidents and created such a tense situation? You're going to be surprised if you're not in America. On sept uh, September 12th, 2015, Peyton Head, a gay black male, and the voted-in president of the Missouri Students Association posted about being the target of race-related harassment on Facebook. He reported that straight out of deliverance style, one tooth, <laughs> probably a little bit of straw coming out of its mouth, red pickup truck, driving white folks drove past him while he was walking down the street near the university campus and that the young white passengers repeatedly shouted racial slurs at him. Uh, I guess they weren't going too fast. Quote, I just want to say, he said, how extremely hurt and disappointed I am. Last night as I was walking through campus, some guys riding on the back of a pickup truck decided it would be okay to continuously scream nigger at me. I just, wanted, I just want to know why my simple existence is such a threat to society. He went on to say, for those of you who wonder why, I'm always talking about the importance of inclusion 
and respect, it's because I've experienced moments like this multiple times at this university, making me feel not included here. Okay, first point, <laughs> it was not at the university close to the university, granted, not on university property. He said, quote, many of you are so privileged that you'll never know what it feels like to be a hijab-wearing Muslim woman and be called a terrorist or a towelhead. You don't have to think about being transgender and worrying about finding a restroom where you can go and not be targeted for violence because you don't fit into the gender binary. Yes, I guess he's talking to white people here, probably white males. And uh, boy, <laughs> if, if you don't know what it's like to be a white male, if you've not asked someone in America what it's like to be a white male, you don't really understand that white males are continuously targeted in American media and in American academia and any other place which is called or referred to or related to or somehow in the shadow of or under the control of or fold, folded, spindled and mutilated by the American experience. If you're a white male, if you're involved in any racially ambiguous situation, the media will never side with you. They will always attack you. They will slander you. They will call you racist, rush to judgment, and you'll never get the benefit of the doubt. So the idea that, boy, you white males in America are so privileged, you never know what it's like to be at the receiving end of negative social judgments, you patriarchal, racist, cisgendered scum. Yeah, I don't think that really follows, but you know, why, why would you want to ask white males about their experience of racism? Because dot, dot, dot reasons. <laughs> That's all you need for the left. Head didn't file the report with the Columbia Police Department regarding the incident, but 12 days later, over 100 students held a protest event titled Racism Lives Here in support of their student body president. The irony is thick with this one. A male student who participated in the event said, White silence! is consent for racism, sexism, and every other ism to continue on this campus. It's going to take a lot more white people than the ones who were there to effect change. All right. Then we used to have this thing called innocent until proven guilty. Oh, you know, all these guys screamed racism, racist slurs at me. And of course, you have to kind of prove that a little bit, don't you? It doesn't remain in some doubt. I mean, there have been a lot of race-baiting hoaxes where black people or other minorities say that they were acted against in some racist manner, where it turns out they manufactured evidence. We'll put a list of these, a top 10 list of these below, but it happens. So you can't just assume that it's true. But let's assume that it's true, that these young white guys in a red pickup truck <laughs> drove past this guy and screamed racial epithets at him. That's bad behavior. That's terrible behavior. What the hell does that have to do with white people as a whole? I mean, if a black guy mugs me and then I say, well, all black people's silence about this mugging is approval of this mugging and they're all going to be criminals and they're all supporting criminality unless they come to my rally. I mean, would that not be lunatic? Would that not be insane? Of course it would be. What's with this collective judgment? Few white people act boorishly. All white people are supporting racism unless they come to my rally and submit to my demands. Are you kidding me? How about judging people by their individual characteristics? Ah, uh, well, apparently that doesn't really work as well anymore. And of course, Peyton Head was a gay black man who was elected president of the Missouri Student Association with a record high turnout in an overwhelmingly white population. Is that a clear sign of rampant racism on campus? Hey, wait a minute. Thought just struck me. Was there another guy voted in, a black guy who was voted in, in order to heal racial divisions, who then turned out to be a relentless race baiter? Ah, oh well. It'll come to me, I'm sure, before the end of the presentation. 
Danielle Walker, a 25-year-old graduate student, said, Even though you all may never utter a racial slur, you are just as guilty because you are not speaking up. You are not coming to terms with your friends or your associates or your family members who may have a problem with colored folk. Of course, she doesn't sound like she has a problem with uncolored folk. During a follow-up protest, students shouted, White silence is violence, no justice, no peace, because nothing says I'm really immersing myself and learning a lot from higher education than mindless slogans being chanted over and over and over again. Wasn't that pretty much how the Constitution went? Uh, She said, my hair has been called dirty. I've been called ghetto. I've had people not wanting to sit next to me. I've had people not wanting to work with me in class. So yes, clearly we have a racism problem here on campus. All right. It's, you know, theoretically, just go with me here. It's theoretically possible that someone might not want to work with a person like this for reasons other than racism. You know, if you've got the one-size-fits-all explanation of anybody who has a negative reaction to you called racism, you don't ever really look in the mirror necessarily and say, I wonder if I could be more inviting to work with. Uh, it's just a thought. Uh, quote, we want to see a hate crime policy initiated. We want our chancellor to formally make an announcement that we do have a racial problem here on campus and that they're seeking to make sure it gets addressed properly. A 19-year-old female student also noted, quote, It's just a group of students that are really pissed off. We either are told it's not that bad or told that we are just making a big deal out of nothing. And it's ridiculous. It is a big deal and it does affect everyone's lives. And to be honest, I find race and racism very boring topics. Uh, But nonetheless, people keep bringing this stuff up. It keeps pushing its way to the forefront of the racial healing presidency. And so we do have to uh, discuss it. Or at least I think we do. On October 5th, at approximately 1 a.m., a drunken white man interrupted a rehearsal held by the Legion of Black Collegians, a black student government organization. Okay, what now? There's an exclusively black organization on campus? Uh, How would you feel if there was an exclusively white organization on campus? Ah, you see, but black solidarity is pride in one's culture and history. White solidarity is Nazi KKK racism. Ah! So uh, anyway, it just seems kind of ironic that these guys are screaming racism when they have a black student organization. So the white man reportedly walked onto the stage and refused to leave when asked. When he eventually stumbled off the stage, he was reported to have stated, these niggers are getting aggressive with me. Why people weren't whipping out their phones and uh, recording all of this? Again, uh, it seems uh, a little odd that none of this stuff gets recorded, but anyway. The incident triggered a campus-wide outcry that eventually prompted a response from Chancellor Loftin, who called for an end to hatred and racism at Mitsu. So again, let's say it's all true. We don't know, but let's say it's all true. Okay, so one drunken white guy acts in a boorish and racist manner, and suddenly all white people are racist. Are you kidding me? Does everybody, I mean, am I the only person on this planet who sees how unbelievably collectivist and racist that is? The campus police department identified the man who interrupted the rehearsal, and the university issued a statement. The individual has been moved from campus by the Office of Student Conduct pending the outcome of the conduct process. Upholding a Privacy Act, university officials didn't disclose any additional information about the nature of the student's punishment. In a tweet regarding the incident, the LBC stated, quote, In 2015, we still do not have an inclusive campus. We still aren't welcome. And... This, this seems kind of hysterical to me. I mean, I think we got a 
toughen up a little bit here, don't we, people? Man, I get called racial epithets all the time when I do any kind of shows on black leaders. I've got shows here on Nelson Mandela, uh, on Maya Angelou, on Martin Luther King Jr., and uh, other people. And uh, I think you're just supposed to say, okay, there's a couple of jerks out there, uh, some racist jerks on, on every side of the race uh, divide, and uh, I wouldn't judge all black people by the endless amounts of <laughs> racial epithets hurled at me by a few jerky blacks on the internet. I don't understand why it doesn't work the other way, but maybe we will by the end of this presentation. The car bump! Dun, dun, dun. In a list of demands, a student group leading the protest stated, quote, We want Tim Wolf to admit his gross negligence, allowing his driver to hit one of the demonstrators, consenting to the physical violence of bystanders, and lastly refusing to intervene when Columbia Police Department used excessive force with demonstrators. So what happened? Okay, this is demand us in reference to an October 10th protest in which the concerned student group blocked Wolf's car from leaving the campus. Now, despite the group's claims that apparently he just urged his driver to ram a protester, a video posted on their YouTube account shows a black protester who runs towards the moving vehicle and pushes against it. The driver immediately stops the car and a group of bystanders get between the protesters and Wolf's car, forming a protective half circle. So apparently if you run at a car and bump into it, that's like being driven over. Anyway, it's just a good thing that there's video evidence around for some of this stuff. During this time, Wolf sits silently in his car, hardly consenting to or encouraging the actions of the bystanders. Columbia police officers intervene shortly afterwards, allowing the vehicle to exit the scene, blocking traffic, I think, is a criminal offense. And um, I don't know how people think that the police department work. They generally don't take orders from academics in university offices. Uh, they generally pursue what they consider to be a just application of the law, and uh, they don't take orders from Tim Wolf. One of the protesters who blocked Wolf's car was communications professor Melissa Click. You may remember her from the thumbnail. Click recently came under fire after she was caught on camera telling a journalist that he couldn't film a protest encampment. She also encouraged the use of physical violence to remove him. When he said he wouldn't leave, he was just doing his job, First Amendment rights and so on. She said, hey, who wants to help me get this reporter out of here? I need some muscle over here. Uh, she apparently is quite a feminist too and I must find uh, the irony. Let's just smell, smell the irony. It smells like French cooking, I think. But the irony here is that we've got a feminist who, when she runs into trouble, runs to, in <laughs> to get men's muscles to solve it for her. Hey, man, come and beat this guy up for me because I'm a feminist and I'm empowered and I like to handle things by myself. Hey, let's get some male muscle over here to solve my girly problem. Click was only a communications, not only a communications professor, she also held a, quote, courtesy appointment with the journalism school. While she later resigned from this appointment, she still remains a member of the communications department and faced no disciplinary action for her behavior. See, here's how it works. This is white male privilege. Oh, you can just taste it, can't you? White male privilege is if some unconfirmed outsider yells a racial epithet outside of the university, you lose your job and your career and you get lambasted as a racist in the mainstream media. That's why white male privilege. If you are a female and on the left, you can interfere with First Amendment rights. You can call upon other people to come and physically attack or remove the reporter and nothing bad happens to you at all. I can just taste the privilege. Wait, I'm levitating from privilege. <laughs> 
Ah, the poop swastika. Yes, these are phrases I never really thought I'd have to say in my life, but here we are in the uh, early race hysteria of the 21st century. On October 24th, a swastika drawn with feces was found in a university bathroom. So some people said it was fake, it was fake, but then eventually uh, a photo of the incident was released. Quote, when things like that happen, it's terrifying for Jewish students who feel threatened and alienated on this campus, the president of the MU Jewish Student Organization said. However, she noted that such incidents are rare and that most of the anti-Semitism Jewish students face comes in the form of micro-aggressions and, quote, subtle phrases that associate Jewish with being cheap. Now, I just wanted to sort of mention, first of all, if you poop on something, I think I saw an episode of Bones once, you can pretty much get the DNA from that and figure out who it is if you really want to. Uh, and secondly, if you are some neo-Nazi, why would you put your respected and elevated symbol of a swastika, why would you portray that in feces? That's like expecting a Catholic to put the cross in his own feces. That would not be a very respectful use or view of your elevated symbol of racial purity. Uh, so, I don't know. Oh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. On November 10th, Peyton Head, our friend from before, issued the following warning in a Facebook post. Quote, students, please take precaution. Stay away from the windows in residence halls. The KKK has been confirmed to be sighted on campus. I'm working with the MUPD, the state trooper, and the National Guard. How did that play out? Well, he had to eventually delete the post, and the university's emergency update system tweeted the following. There is no immediate threat to campus. Please do not spread rumors. Still, we got to believe him about the pickup truck thing, right? That's solid, baby. Head also issued an apology via his Facebook page. Quote, I'm sorry about the misinformation that I have shared through social media. In a state of alarm, I was concerned for all students of the University of Missouri. I wanted to ensure that everyone was safe. I received and shared information from multiple incorrect sources, which I deeply regret. The last thing needed is to incite more fear into the hearts of our community. All right. Graduate student Jonathan Butler held a highly publicized hunger strike, saying he would not eat again until President Wolf resigned. Butler was previously involved in the Ferguson protests regarding Michael Brown shooting, and he is the son of a railroad vice president, and his family has a net worth of about $20 million. So it's, uh, he's kind of like in the 1% there. Doesn't mean he can't, of course, have his causes, but uh, I didn't really read that until a little bit later in the investigation of this. Before President Wolf's resignation, students were informed the classes were canceled for the next two days and were being replaced with a teaching focused on race relations. Ha! Huh. I guess that sounds like the honest conversation about race that whites are always invited to come in and join, which basically means self-flagellation, hanging your head in shame, and apologizing for everything that white people have ever done or ever will do anywhere in the planet that conceivably could be construed as negative by anybody in the planet past, present, and future. Uh, I don't imagine that anybody was finger-wagging at any other race. It's just this particular monastery that whites have to attend and beat themselves with ropes. All right, the football team strike. We have to take a... Okay, we'll dive into this a little bit because it's a little confusing if you're not American and or mental to understand all of this stuff. But there was a football team strike. Now, for a lot of people in the world, that's like, okay, so guys in shoulder pads and tight pants aren't throwing a ball around. Save us from the social chaos. No, no, no. This is... American college, this is a huge deal. And what they said was, they said, the athletes of color on the University of Missouri football team truly believe injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
We will no longer participate in any football-related activities until President Tim Wolf resigns or is removed due to his negligence towards marginalized students' experience. We are united, they went, uh, all caps. For that, now, do you care? I don't know, maybe the stamp collecting club or the model train railroad club said the same kind of thing, and people said, I don't know, did we even have one? No, no. The possibility of a team strike in the country's most dominant college football league, the Southeastern Conference, drew national attention to the controversy on campus. Officials reported that forfeiting a single game would lead to a $1 million fine against the university. Now, that got the attention of the alumni and the board, along with a substantial penalty they would have been facing, said Democrat St. Louis Representative William Lacey Clay. That would have been a disaster for the recruiting of black athletes and of black students to the university. I don't know. Can we not just get the best athletes and students to come in and forget about their color? No! Apparently not, because Martin Luther King never lived. The University of Missouri system had $3.1 billion in revenue for 2014. The endowment has a little over $1.4 billion in it. So that's uh, quite a uh, $5 billion, and $1 million is uh, quite a small point percentage of that, but um, apparently they're really keen on throwing the pigskin around and catching stuff. So bye-bye, Mr. Wolf, for potential racism somewhere off campus. So let's, let's put this in perspective. Okay, why, what, what, why, what, what, why? <laughs> the United States the only country where university coaches make multi-million dollar salaries. Because priorities, people, it's a it's a college of higher learning, so throw and catch better. The construction and maintenance of college sports venues consumes as much or more investment than the budget of the entire school, thus spilling over to taxpayers and, gosh, I wonder why college costs are going up so much. The U.S. is the only country where alumni, people who graduated or want to support the university, alumni donations are greater for sports than academics, where more money is spent by universities to recruit athletes than the brightest academic minds. Within 48 hours of the football team threatening to strike, Wolf was out! The team played without interruption and the money kept flowing. Why? Why? Okay, so in the past, so before the college system came up, major sports leagues like the National Football League, the National Basketball Association and so on, they had to spend a huge amount of money identifying and recruiting and training athletes for baseball and basketball and other games. Now, this cost has been offloaded to the college system. Um, which is kind of like indentured servitude, but with the added bonus of all the cheerleaders you can eat and brain injuries through concussion. So these days, college itself is a massive subsidy for professional organizations like the NFL because the colleges recruit and train and weed out the best and worst athletes, and then they can go on to those careers, and the taxpayers and the other students have eaten up all the cost of identifying the best players. These college athletes are kind of treated like serfs, they're classified as amateurs, so they're unable to earn anything from their participation in a highly dangerous and often physical, physically destroying sport. Schools receive 100% of all revenues related to the athletes and their branding. So college finances have become somewhat dependent in, on sports. So academics, well, the academics have received wedgies and been thrown in a dumpster. Uh, that is sort of the way that it goes. Uh, you know, even after you graduate, the, the college can sell your likeness and your name to other media like video games and so on. So when Bernie Sanders says, let's get more people into college, he's saying, I really feel that the NFL and NBA are not subsidized enough with multi-billion dollars of spending on free facilities from the taxpayers. So, 
And how crazy is this? Okay, so uh, Division One universities and colleges tend to spend about three to six times the amount of money on athletes than they do on students, like academic students. Now, in the Southeastern Conference, which is where Mizzou is, they spell, spend more than 12 times as much on the athletes per capita than they do on the academic students. 12 times as much because priorities from opposite land of intellectual achievement. All right, let's get back to it. Concerned Student 1950. So this is a, a, a black advocacy group that's named after 1950, which is when the first black student was uh, admitted to Missouri University. See, what this says to me, my friends, is that they've had 65 years to get race relations right. But I'm sure another two-day teach-in will solve all the problems that be con could be conceived of. One, we demand that the University of Missouri System President Tim Wolf writes a handwritten apology to the concerned student 1950 demonstrators and holds a press conference in the Mitsu Student Center reading the letter. This reminds you of something out of the Gulag Archipelago or Chairman Mao's uh, You Are an Enemy of the Revolution, You Will Read Your Own Crimes Before Being Banished. Going on, in the letter and at the press conference, Tim Wolf must acknowledge his white male privilege, recognize that systems of oppression exist, and provide a verbal commitment to fulfilling concerned student 1950 demands. <sighs> okay, privilege 101, if you actually have a lot of privilege, this would never, ever, ever happen. Never, ever, did I mention? It would never, ever happen. If you really had privilege, you could not be forced to read a letter uh, saying what a bad person you are. We want Tim Wolf to admit his gross negligence, allowing his driver to hit one of the demonstrators, consenting to the physical violence of bystanders and lastly refusing to intervene when Columbia Police Department used excessive force with demonstrators. Bad, bad whitey. Number two, we demand the immediate removal of Tim Wolf as UM system president. I don't think that actually makes a lot of sense. The only reason you'd humiliate yourself in this way is if you were, wanted to and had a chance of keeping your job. We want to humiliate you, then we're going to fire you. Actually, I think I'll just quit, which is kind of what he, uh, what he did. After his removal, a new amendment to UM system policies must be established to have all future UM system president and chancellor positions be selected by a collective of students, staff, and faculty of diverse backgrounds. We demand that the University of Missouri meets the Legion of Black Collegians demands that were presented in 1969 for the betterment of the black community. We demand that the University of Missouri creates and enforces comprehensive racial awareness and inclusive inclusion curriculum throughout all campus departments and units. Mandatory for all students, faculty, staff, and administration. This curriculum must be vetted, maintained, and overseen by a board comprised of students, staff, and faculty of color. Now, actually, um, there was a demand that, uh, you know, an end to harassment and physical threats against minority students. Actually, there's very little violence statistically at the University of Missouri, and it actually seems to be about equal between uh, blacks and whites. So, um, I don't know. It's like, is this... You, is the university system in America at all preparing people for the real world? I mean, try, try that at a job. You know, uh, you, boss, you said something that bothered me and offended me, and you didn't act in the way I want, so you need to come and read a letter of apology to me and to everyone around, and then you have to admit that you're a bad person, and then we're going to fire you, and then I want all of us interns to be running the company. I mean, it's like, oh, my God. I guess these people are going to have to stay in academia for the rest of their lives because this, this sure ain't going to fly in the free market. Five, we demand that by the academic year 27 to 2018, the University of Missouri increase the percentage of black faculty and staff campus-wide to 10%. Quotas! Quotas. Anybody with any shred of pride would never want to be handed a job as a result of a quota. You're automatically going to get 
the least qualified, most entitled people. I mean, imagine going to the great black economist Tom Sowell and saying, well, we don't want to hire you, but we're being forced to by a hunger strike. I think I know what he'd say. Six, we demand that the University of Missouri composes a strategic 10-year plan by May 1st, 2016, that will increase retention rates for marginalized students, sustain diversity curriculum and training, and promote a more safe and inclusive campus, because adjectives are nice. Um, so, what are they talking about here? Retention rates, well, um, for those of you outside the racial funhouse of hell known as uh, American society, you don't know this probably. But uh, if you're a black student and you apply for college, your, so your scores automatically get bumped up. And if you're an Asian student and you apply to college, your scores automatically get bumped down because apparently <laughs> Asians uh, missed the privilege card that uh, got handed to the whites, who I don't think get any particular adjustment. Now, if you artificially bump people's scores up to get into college, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to drop out at higher rates because they're there for reasons that aren't to do with their intellectual ability or capacity or anything like that. They're there because fulfilling racial quotas, which means they're going to bomb out. Unless you lower the level of the curriculum to the point where no Asians will apply. Anyway, we'll get to all of that later. So a study examined the graduation rates of whites and blacks in Missouri found the following. Graduation rate for white men, 61.1%. Graduation rate for black men, 43.1%. That's lower. And it's natural. Why? Why is there this graduation gap? Of course, the answer from some activists is racism. Everything, racism. However, 85.7% um, of the gap is due to pre-entry skill differences. So the fact that there's a quota system which shovels unqualified people into a university system and they then bomb out at higher rates is entirely predictable. And the vast majority of it is because of that. I don't know what the remaining are. For white women, the graduation rate is 66.2%. But remember... Not a lot of them are in physics and philosophy. Graduation rate for black women, not 66.2% for whites. For black women, 51.2%. And uh, almost two-thirds of the gap was due to pre-entry skill differences. It's not fair, it's not right to put people in a college situation they can't handle. You end up with hunger strikes, hysteria, and guilty until proven innocent, and you will never be proven innocent. Seven, we demand that the University of Missouri increases funding and resources for the Counseling center for the purpose of more mental health professionals and hugs and puppy rooms and kind of stuff like that. We demand that the University of Missouri increase funding resources and personnel for the social justices center on campus for the purpose of hiring additional professionals, particularly those of color, boosting outreach and programming across campus and increasing campus-wide awareness and visibility. So sure, yeah, you can, uh, you can get rid of the white president, you can scream racism at everyone, uh, you can get uh, a bunch of other people uh, hired by quota system, and you can basically hijack the system and shake down everyone for a bunch of money for your social justice warriors, which means that all the good students will leave and the University of Missouri diploma will be recognized as something slightly between clown college and a uh, minister's permit you print off from the internet. So, what's, uh, what's happened? The university has announced it will soon appoint its first chief officer for diversity, inclusion, and equity. And also pledges to work towards a more diverse faculty and staff. A full review of university policies related to staff student conduct is also planned and promises have been made to provide greater support to those who experience discrimination. Oh, look, more rules, more regulations. Don't fight your own battles. Don't grow a thicker skin. Just complain to everyone and wait for it universe to give you the solace that you so desperately want. On November 13th, of course, as we talked about, terrorist attacks rocked Paris, France. 
leaving 130 plus dead, hundreds injured and drawing the attention of the media away from the University of Missouri controversy. How did the activists react? Well, it was a mixed bag. Many activists took to Twitter to complain about the loss in coverage and focus, coining the hashtag, fuck Paris. Classy. This is not the same activists we've been talking about, but we'll get to why this is relevant in a moment. This is one Twitter from a, an activist. Interesting how the news reports are covering the Paris terrorist attacks, but said nothing about the terrorist attack at Mizu. Oh, so, self-detonating explosives to the chest, terrorists and uh, shooting people, gunning them down, shooting the wounded and so on, is pretty much exactly the same as a drunken white guy muttering the word nigger. Or a potential red pickup truck of stereotypes doing the same thing. It's exactly the same, people. No difference at all. <sighs> Quote, we can remember the tragedy of Paris and still remember Mizu. We are capable of multitasking. Both situations are equally messed up. See, terrorist attack in Paris, exactly the same as what's happening in Missouri. Hashtag fuck Paris. Those same motherfuckers wouldn't give a fuck about these racist white boys over here terrorizing black folks. Quote, you really expect us to support a country that still taxes Africa for colonial expansionism? Yeah, fuck Paris. Um, I mean, it's massive racism against white people here, right? Um, how the victims of the Paris attacks are somehow responsible for French colonial policies 100 years ago remains elusive to anybody with half a brain, uh, but um, this, is the, uh, this is the reality. I mean, you know, one of the basic tests of is something racism is reverse the racism and see if it works, right? Let's say some, some drunken black guy calls me a cracker. Do I then get to demand that the black head of the university resign and a white head is put in his place and, and I mean, all of this sort of stuff? No, when I say, well, this is terrorist attacks against me from all black people on campus, I mean, I would be viewed as somebody who was, you complete the word, <laughs> because I, I simply got, quote, prayers for Paris, Black Lives Matter, fuck Paris, quit showing love to people that never showed it for you. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a real drag when, uh, you know, inconvenient mass murders overseas interrupt your lefty, whiny, power-pity, power-grab. All right. So, yeah, we quit showing love to people that never showed it to you. And um, this idea that all white people are responsible for the bad actions of a few white people, um, I mean, this is standard socialist stuff where you just sow seeds of division, sow seeds of hostility, and sow, collect sow collective guilt. And, I mean, it's desperately unhealthy for white people to feel this kind of guilt. You know, you could make the argument that minorities in white countries are pretty much treated better than minorities around the world. And that, you know, whites have made a lot of attempts to accommodate and promote the interests of minorities and try and solve problems of racism. But it just doesn't seem to be working out super well for everyone involved. And um, I think that's a real shame. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a terrible thing. Because um, the fact that white people feel guilty about something like slavery, okay, that's a sensitivity. Could be a little bit of pathological self-guilt on white people, well-trained by centuries of particularly Catholic Christianity, but a topic for another time. The reality is, of course, that white people uh, fought and bled and died and spent the treasure of generations to end slavery around the world. And white people in general have tried to make things better in terms of race relations, but um, this particular approach 
does not work. And what doesn't work is turning race relations over to the government. Government programs suck in general. And um, government programs always achieve the opposite of their intended goal. And race in America has too long, for far too long, been dominated by government programs. So there was a government program called slavery, which was not part of the free market, but was enforced by the state. There was a government program called the Civil War, designed to make everything better. Didn't work out. Government program called Jim Crow. Government program called segregation, and then desegregation, and busing, and affirmative action, and subsidies, and oh, tweaking around with people's academic scores to jam more blacks into fewer Asians. And all of this is just massive amounts of government force rippling through the society and the economy. And what is it producing? It is turning race, which is something we should all be outgrowing and dealing with one another as individuals, into a kind of a religious war, into a kind of a, a, a victim hostility blame game where divisions get sown and exacerbated and uh, nobody ends up winning except a few self-aggrandizing activists who get to strut around feeling that they're solving the problems of the universe when all they're doing is indulging in the same collective guilt-blaming of racism that they claim to be fighting. And it is very sad that the hope of a racially uncharged society, of Martin Luther King Jr.'s hope, that we would one day judge a man not by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character, has been blown aside and shouldered aside by a lot of this white-blaming, collective guilt-shaming that is occurring. And uh, if you care about race relations at all, you have to reject collective guilt. Collective guilt is racism, and it is truly tragic that this is the kind of racism we now have to be fighting. Thank you so much for watching. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio.